0: welcome to the financial advisors workshop where brian castle founder of four star wealth in chicago interviews the most successful financial advisors in america to hear exactly how they grew their businesses to 100 million and beyond before we dive into the interview please go to financialadvisorsworkshop.com and download your copy of our free guide on how to find ultra high net worth clients let's start the show Here's Brian.
1: Welcome, everyone, back to the Financial Advisors Workshop, which is a four-star Wealth Advisors podcast and video series. Uh, Our quest is to find the best and smartest financial advisors in America. So we're talking to a lot of really great people. Uh, Today, we're talking with Richard Archer, uh, and Richard is down in Austin, Texas, and he's really an interesting guy. He's got a lot of cool things to say. Richard, uh, you you run Archer Investment Management, right in downtown Austin, Texas. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, it's uh it's a great
2: place to do business. It's a growing state. We have a lot of new clients coming from California, um, and we've focused on a niche um, just because of the incredible opportunity. Focused on a niche of working with uh, mid career tech professionals with equity compensation, so stock options, ESPPs, RSUs, you name it. Um, We we dive into that and we focus our marketing um, and our expertise on that.
1: Nice. We didn't talk about that earlier. That's a a very big value-added area that many advisors don't understand much about at all. Uh, And Four Star happens to be a specialist in that area as well. So, um, well, good. Well, let's get back to that in a little bit. But tell, tell us how you got here. You were at Smith Barney. You were all over the street. You've been at it now for 24 years and you have 165 million under management and a lot of great families. How did we give us some progression in how we got here?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. So um, obviously I've been working in financial advice since I was 14 years old and an intern at Merrill Lynch. Um, and you know, when I look back at my career, there's kind of a few highlights that kind of define who I am, rather than telling you, you know, I worked at Merrill Lynch and I worked at KeyBank and then McDonald Investments and all that there's some highlights that I find most meaningful when I look back at my career. And, you know, in my very first job, I worked for, um, the, at the time, the biggest brokerage team in the country. And it was in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, very interesting, uh, two men who ran that practice. Um, one was a world-class perceptive listener. We would, he would let me tag along I was a young, smart kid, tag along to meetings with football team owners, professional athletes, um, CEOs of billion-dollar companies, uh, just amazing people. And I would just sit and listen. And he would ask a single question and very rarely say much else in a meeting. It was masterful to watch him. He was talented in ways that you know I've never seen before or again. Um, so I learned a lot from that. Um, and then his partner was um, kind of more in charge of running the practice. And Really whip smart attorney, and he was like a friend boss. And so, as the practice grew and grew, and we added more staff and team members and different departments, um, he kept a personal connection with every single employee amid the chaos of a fast growing firm. Um, And that's something that I try and um, apply with my team even today. So, those two skills I take from them, and I I still work on them today. Um, You know, another situation I came across, another highlight of the three. Um, was a firm I worked at a little bit later, and um, it was another growing firm, and you know, they were making some decisions that I didn't agree with, and I really had to come to terms with what kind of planner that I wanted to be. Um, There's all kinds of different planners out there, um, and I decided that the direction that they were going, the decisions they were making didn't reflect how I wanted to be as a man or as a a planner, um, and I decided to leave um, and take my book of business, if you want to call it, You know, it's the client's choice, of course. We always talk like we own them, but we don't. Um, You know, call my clients and let them know that I'm setting up my own shop. Um, And here's why, without disparaging anybody else, but here's what I think I can do better. Um, Would you like to come with me? Um, And they all did, uh, which was wonderful. Um, That was in the spring of 2008. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the market fall then. (laughs) That was an interesting first month of business. Um, What was fortunate... Uh, was that um, I didn't agree with exactly how the portfolios were invested. So the majority of the portfolios that came with me were in cash when the market fell. So luck, well, you know what, I mean, terrible at the market fell, but we kind of watched the floor drop and we were just sitting still. And so it was a it was a wonder, wonderful day for my business, terrible day for the markets. Yeah. Uh, So that was a nice little growth story to get us going. Um, uh, Lucky timing. Lucky timing. You know, I I always like to call it luck. There was a little bit of uh, investment analysis in there, too. But I don't want to take too much credit for knowing the market was going to fall like that. But I did have some there were some indications that things weren't right. I'm sure you saw them, Mm -hmm. too, right? Um, Mm -hmm. If you're doing any research at all, there were some indications things weren't right. Um, So. Uh, you know, about six months later, this is like kind of my last big main point of my career. Six months later, once I realized that my business was a going concern um, and that I was capable of doing it and I could run under my own power, um, that is the most powerful and enabling and energizing and liberating feeling one can have when you launch a business and realize that you're an entrepreneur and that you like the strange challenges that come at you every day. Um, Yeah that you can do it and whatever comes at you, you'll figure it out. Once you get that confidence, um, it changes you. And uh, I, I'm not sure um, I would be a, f- a very good employee ever again. Once, once you run your own firm um, and you learn to drive <laughs> on your own, it, it's hard to be a passenger again. Exactly. Not to say never, but you know, right now, we're having a good time and the firm's growing quickly. We've <clears throat> um, added you know, over $100 million in assets in the last, gosh, 16 months, I'd have to go back and check that, but we'll say two years to be conservative, but um, we're growing quickly right now. So we've kind of figured out what our niche is and what our messaging is and where we're finding it every single day.
1: So when you, when you come to the realization that you never wanna work for someone else again, then you almost come to the other realization that maybe you were working for yourself all along anyway.
2: Yeah, um, th- that's actually a very perceptive point. I would argue that it would take, when I was, Growing in the business in my you know, mid to late 20s, it would take a very confident boss, if you will, to kind of be my manager. Um, because I was always probing, trying to improve, trying to improve. Um, fortunately, um, you know, my early bosses, one of the, the boss partner, if you will, the boss friend, um, he was a very strong manager and and kind of rolled with it and kind of thought I was amusing. Um, as I grew, you know, got my CFA and then my CFP. Um, um, I realized that uh, I, I, I was, in, in my opinion, capable of doing a better job than what was being done. So it was time for me to go do it on my own and prove it.
1: Excellent. Great. So then um, your progression was you founded this firm in 2008 after mm-hmm. all the different stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that's, you've been developing from there. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. And it's done, done very well. And you have a, a large firm. In the vernacular of our industry, not a small firm or a mid-sized firm, you have a large firm. So you're doing very, very well. And Austin is a great environment and a great market for it. Texas is a great growing state. Everyone's coming to Texas. Companies are coming to Texas. The world is coming to Texas. uh, So you're in good shape. So um, we talked about risk management and planning, risk allies. How do you engage a client? And then what does it look like? over time when you get a new client in, you do planning right away, and then continue to track that planning in some fashion? How does that all work?
2: Yeah, uh, that's a big question. So, um, you know, we're 100% virtual. Um, We subleased our office this past year after COVID because none of our clients wanted to come in, frankly, and we weren't using it. Um, So we have a national reach. We've got clients all over the country. Um, My staff is all, my staff, my team is all over the country, ranging from North Carolina, New Jersey, to all the way to Fidalgo Island, up outside of Seattle, um, Chicago, and here in Texas. So um, we're agnostic when it comes, we're location agnostic when it comes to hiring. Um, we're about to hire another person, a portfolio manager, a dedicated portfolio manager, and we're, we're doing a nationwide search for that person. So um, that gives us some freedom. So when clients hire us, they know early on that we're 100% over Zoom, right? Um, we use texting. Wow. We use email, um, we use digital file sharing to communicate with them, but it also allows us to do a lot more meetings during the day um, and, you know, Austin traffic can be rough. It allows clients to meet with us without having to drive through Austin traffic.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: um, you know, it, um, it allows us also to better share our financial planning tools um, over the computer with clients. Let me tell you why. There's a couple of reasons for that. One, you know, screen share rather than putting it up on a screen uh, mm-hmm. on the wall. Screen share seems to work a little bit better for us. I'm not sure why. Um, but the screen share will go into Right Capital, for example, and walk through a client's plan with them. Um, but also the client sitting in the comfort of their own home. So they're a little bit more relaxed. And if there's something they forgot, they can just go get it. Just go get it. Information like in a long-term care policy or whatever, whatever they're missing. They just run the the one of the partners will run off and grab it while we keep going with the meeting. And it works really seamlessly, actually. So it's one of the better decisions that we've made. Um and allows us to do a lot more meetings in a day than we could before. Um nice. Yeah. So, so, so you have
1: people you so say you have people all over the country. Are they other advisors or are they
2: uh-huh. so we have uh, one more planner, a senior planner named Emily, who's a powerhouse and w- fantastic team member, like it's changing the face of our business every day. Um, I'm so glad she joined. Um, we, ha- we have our administrator in New Jersey. We have our practice manager here in Texas. And then we have two pair planners, uh, our, one in Chicago and then one in Fidalgo Island. Right. Now, how did you meet all those people? Um, you know, um, websites, uh, job websites. So indeed, um, simply is a really great uh, source for, uh, paraplanners, um, and then
1: personal relationships. Very nice. Very nice. And what is your plan there? Are you going to continue to grow nationally or, yeah. or just grow wherever we need to? Yeah, we're going to
2: continue to grow nationally, um, uh, and virtually. So um, you know, I'm kind of, a, I'm not a butts in seats kind of guy. I'm more of like, are you getting your work done that you need to get done in a quality way and are clients being serviced in a timely manner. And if one of the team members can do that in an hour a day, I'm fine with that. I want them to do good work and, and be happy and have work-life balance. Um, you know, you've got a number of moms working for us and I, I love that they have the flexibility to take care of a sick kid or to, you know, go, go pick up their kid from day or whatever it is. Um, I, I don't feel the need to have someone staring at a screen even when they're not doing something. I've, I've been in jobs
1: like that and I did not like that. Mm. Interesting. You know, you, um, you did serve in one of the premier consulting groups, uh, the Morgan, what is now Morgan Stanley it was EF Hutton and Solomon Smith Barney and everything else. Now it's Morgan Stanley. Um, how was that experience and did that shape anything that you are doing now?
2: Yeah. So great firms, of course, um, don't have anything to say bad about them. Um, I found that a couple of things um, I liked and a couple of things I didn't like. Um, I liked, you know, the big firm and the safety that comes and clients feel very safe and the mahogany walls and all the fancy, you know, um, lots of suits, and everybody looking really sharp. Um, and, and the support, you know, from different departments and the, and the marketing materials, things like that. That was nice. Um but the things I didn't like is I move very, very quickly and we adopt new technology as it comes out. Um, we're very technology forward here at the firm. And so we we were early adopters on Right Capital uh, and Pontera, which is normally Fiat, uh, primarily like opter. all these different tools that have come out over the years. And we've, you know, either we're still using them or we've tried them and let them go. Um, and that flexibility and the ability to move quickly, make decisions and stay on the forefront of technology um, was not possible in that. In that environment, so for me, I was happy to leave it. Okay, okay.
1: And then you're you're an investment officer at Alpha Capital. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about that experience. Yeah, that was a small shop, um, a local shop, and they have deep roots in Texas. Um,
2: you know, uh, good guys. Um, however, uh, I was outgrowing the position. Um, it's that classic, "Hey, look what I'm doing. When can I be a partner?" story. Um, And hey, Mm -hmm. the response is, hey, we're not ready to add a new new partners. But me being impatient, I said, okay, fine, I'll go build my own sandbox and do it myself. And that's how we left it. So um, real, real simple story that I think a lot of REA's founders have gone through. Like, hey, it's not moving fast enough for me. And I think I can do this on my own. And
1: I was right. Yeah. So now now you uh, run your own practice. Um, How do you manage clients? Do you have any in-person events or is it all just by Zoom? um, and, and do you ever see them in person? Yeah.
2: So, you know, yeah, I do see some of them in person. I've had some clients for 20 plus years. Um, a lot of them are in Austin. So I'll do lunch meetings and things like that with local clients. But, um, 99% of my interactions with clients is virtual now, um, and has been for a few years. And we were, we were 50% virtual before COVID ever happened. And so the switch really wasn't a big, it was like this COVID's terrible, but for our business, it was actually quite good because, we grew really quickly through COVID, like incredibly quickly, to the point where we were having trouble keeping up with all the new clients coming in, seriously. Um, and uh, it was a fantastic opportunity for us. I'm not sure why the sun decided to shine on us, but it did. And we've added um, like four new team members, um, added $110 million in asset management, and we'll probably be at $200 million before the end of the year.
1: Great. Great. Oh, that's exciting stuff. It's good growth. Um, Now, we did talk, switching gears a little bit, we did talk a little bit about crypto. And you have a very interesting designation. Some people like lots of letters. And you have the CDAA, Richard. Tell us about what is a CDAA?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I'll tell you kind of why. CDAA is the Certified Digital Asset Advisor. um, And you get to put the letters after your name. It's a really great Course to teach you about blockchain and digital assets and crypto assets. It's through a company called Interaccess. Um, and uh, really, I, I can't say enough about it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you know, I, I came from August of last year telling clients Bitcoin is a scam, I don't think it's real, it's too volatile, it's not investable, to now directly investing clients in tokens beyond Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, once you, you know. I I happen to believe I'm not the only one. I um, believe that digital assets are another asset class. They're a little bit different than stocks, a little bit different than bonds. Um, they're now investable. Um, I wouldn't recommend going into them without getting a CDAA because there's so much nuance there that um, you it wouldn't be responsible unless you have someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, so, so <clears throat> I feel like um, nowadays uh, when I put clients. I give them the choice. Do we want just the, you know the grace grayscale funds and Bitcoin and Ethereum, or do you want to turn up the risk and invest directly into tokens? And we can do either. We use a we use a system called Onramp for direct investment in tokens. And we treat it. I mean, every client in our firm, except for four or five, has digital assets in their portfolio now. um And we treat it like venture capital. Uh, it's incredibly risky. It can go to zero. I don't happen to think it will. um uh, but uh, and we pare it down obviously for people with lower risk tolerances and turn it up for higher risk tolerances of course um every client knows they've got it we've done multiple disclosures we've redone all of our documents um we've just written an ebook on crypto investing that's going out probably this week um to all of our clients and prospects and we'll be pushing it out on social media as well and we have a, a space on our website for it as well so um kind of i i you know i feel like a lot of advisors probably don't know much about crypto yet um what was my splash of water in the face is when i had a client with three million dollars called me last october whip smart guy i happened to be in new york at the time and he was in new york and he said hey i've got three million dollars in crypto and i need someone to use as a sound everything i've I've borrowed against my house my cars my credit cards um i'm all in on this because i think i think he said i started with a hundred thousand dollars i've turned it to three million i need a sounding board uh, to talk through this, um, someone who understands it and to help me diversify out of it and help me minimize the taxes. So I need to move to Puerto Rico to, you know, we're going through all of this Costa Rica. Um, and I realized I didn't know the first thing to be able to, I couldn't take him as a client. I said, listen, I don't understand this well enough to give you advice. So I quickly got the DACFP with Rick Edelman's program, which is really good. It was kind of an entree. And then I did the CDAA. And now, um, You know, I'm more than capable of having those conversations and talking about hot wallets and cold wallets. And, um, you know, an interesting thing I like to say to clients about crypto assets, just to kind of wrap this all up. um, If you, my dad's an engineer and he used to say to me, unless you can explain something in 10 words or less, you don't really understand it. And so I've always taken that as a challenge on anything I'm providing advice on. um, If I can't, then I need to go back and learn some more. So, crypto assets, before I gave any advice to clients on crypto assets or even thought about investing in them, I asked myself that question. And the answer is very simple. Um, the cryptocurrencies everybody talks about, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Polygon, all these other scary names, they're just digital money, just like airline miles or your credit card. It's just digital money, numbers on a screen. The real meat and potatoes of what's happening is called the blockchain. Um, and all that is, is a piece of software. It's just software. Software, it's a digital ledger. It just tracks transactions. It's all it does. Just different forms mm-hmm. of transactions, whether it's selling a house to, you know, acting as a custodian to selling music, whatever it is, or medical records for that matter. So you got software that tracks transactions and each one's a little bit specialized. And then you've got the currencies on there to pay the people keeping that software running. That's it. Okay. Once you understand that, everything starts to go, oh, and then wait, then, Every middleman in every transaction, i say every, most middlemen, most middle people in every transaction can probably re- be replaced by software. And I'm going to go so far as to say this. I'm going to go out on a limb. You can play this back to me in 10 years and tell me I'm crazy. But right now, people are being worried about being replaced by robots. Robots are going to replace human workers. It's all going to be automated. Sure. I, I, that's That's a fair point, but I actually think um, the blockchain has a has a much bigger potential of, of replacing most people that you and I talk to in a given day.
1: Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well you're very quick, you're obviously thinking, moving fast, lots of great ideas. What else are you looking at these days?
2: Yeah. So on the, the opposite end of the spectrum, um, I realized that, you know, behavioral finance is a real thing. And, you know, good advisors who have been doing this for a while, you may just do it without even thinking about it. You, you listen to a client, you kind of empathize with them and figure out where they're coming from and what's important to them. And then you kind of address, you know, their financial plan in a way that's going to be meaningful to them and and, and understandable to them. So that they because you, you want them to enact the changes that you're recommending. Right. So we do it in stride. But when you actually step back and investigate exactly what is behavioral finance and how do I you know, refine that and how do I make financial plans meaningful and intentional for clients, take that next step to where it really gets into their gut and into their heart rather than just a three ring binder we put on the top of a fireplace that they never open after you give it to them and charge them thousands of dollars. So we asked ourselves that question as a team and what came out was two things. Um, one, we have... You know, with all respect to George Kinder um, and the Kinder Institute, which is phenomenal, we do a very light 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 version of financial life planning. So where we talk to clients about, hey, what gets you up in the morning? and you know we build a financial plan, but we want to build one that's intentional. like the, you, the money is a tool that gets you where you want to go. Money isn't the end result. Money is how you want to live your life and helps you get there. So, exactly. you know, what are the things that are most important to you? We ask them questions like, if you knew you were going to die in a year, you know, what changes would you make to your life right now and why? And we ask their partners that independently, and then we look at them together and we have a big meeting with them and we talk to them. This is how you're living your lives now, according to your financial plan. This is what you say you want. Where's the incongruities?
1: Right.
2: Right. It's, we've had tears. Um, we've had one person go on sabbatical for a year because uh, he realized he was missing his kid's childhood. Um, there were some tears. I mean... We've had some really powerful conversations, and I don't recommend just anybody do this. I mean, you need to prepare yourself. Um, this isn't just like, hey, go buy this mutual fund. You, it's it's getting deep, deep, deep with clients. And it I don't know that every advisor's cut out for it. We've all got different strengths, right? So use it with uh good judgment, is what I would say. Um honestly every second, does every client family embrace that? No. Um, we offer it and you know, some clients don't know us well enough yet. There's That trust has to be built over time. You know, are you going to do what you say you're going to do, right? So it Mm -hmm. takes some time to build that trust, um, which we will. Um, And then others um, just aren't at a point in their life. We tend to see the conversations kind of happen when people are getting married and kind of around big life events when they're kind of taking stock of their lives and they're making some big decisions and kind of doing some self-examination. It seems to be a nice dovetail for when the financial life planning light that we do, because George Kinders is a lot more involved and I'm not sure our kind of tech forward, uh, really busy professionals with kids would have time to do the kinder level financial life planning, which I think is amazing, by the way. Um, but we with our model and our skill set, frankly, and our types of clients, anything beyond kind of what we're doing would be too much. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, to continue that conversation with them for the clients who don't want to do the full financial life planning light that we do, we're using something called data points right now, where we're looking at um people's money scripts, like everyone grows up with different money scripts. When you're a kid, you know, some people's parents were poor, others were wealthy. You have people tell you things that and, and you you learn about money in weird consistent ways. And it affects um if if they it affects how we deliver plans and affects how they react to our plans and it affects how much they save and everything else. So we've started using data points and and doing money script work with clients, which I've really enjoyed because it's 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 very, very light, um, but it's interesting conversation and you see clients kind of nodding after they take the short quiz and and walking through kind of their money personalities and then we talk to them about how those personalities affect the financial plan and its success rate
1: interesting wow um okay now you were going to mention something else also and then I and I directed you another direction you remember what that was
2: uh, uh it might have been uh might have been about crypto. I don't remember. I can talk about that all day, uh, but I yeah. try not to because unless somebody's really interested in it, it can get kind of <laughs> monotonous and like I'm, lot, some people aren't ready for crypto yet. It's just uh, it, it's got a lot of bad press um, until you have your aha moment with crypto. It, look, it looks terrible. It looks like a mess. It looks like a Ponzi scheme. And you know, some of those things are true, right, for some of the chains, but not for all of them.
1: It gets good press when it goes up and bad press when it goes down, kind of like everything else.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would argue for advisors out there, I'm not giving investment advice. Um, with crypto prices, I don't even like the word crypto, even the name is scary with digital asset prices where they are now. I would it behooves you to go and spend a little bit of time, get your CDAA or your DACFP, learn about it and decide how you feel about it. Um, because this, mm-hmm. if you feel as strongly about it as I do, and it the type of generational change the blockchain could have, um, this is a fantastic time to buy into it. Um, but you know, make choose a side is what I would say. Um, and if your side is, it's interesting to you and you have your aha moment, I wouldn't, uh, I I think these prices are probably pretty good. That's my opinion, but not investment advice.
1: Yes. So, um, you seem to have lots of really interesting uh, thoughts about the industry. Um, and any other ideas on where you think our financial advisory industry is going? Where's the cutting edge going to move to next? Yeah, Um, um, Client relationships or events or, or what?
2: Yeah, so, you know, every firm, you know, there's lots of different ways to do this business, right? You know, kind of where I see the growth and where we're leaning into, where we are leaning into for growth is um, deepening client relationships, um, technology to save time and to improve client experience. We're looking at a new, uh, we use Wealthbox right now, which is a great CRM. We're, using, we're looking at Hubly next week. Um, to see if it can enhance our, our workflow management. Cause we have for every process in our firm, we have a workflow that we follow religiously so that every client gets the same experience. We're trying to McDonald's eyes, if you will, to make sure that our consistent high level of client experience is the same um, across all of our clients. It's hard to do. I mean, it's easy to say and hard to do, frankly, because clients are yeah. coming all different shapes and sizes. Um, yes. Right. Um, so I think technology and adoption of new fintech um, to make enhance our jobs and, and, and allow us to deliver advice faster and more effectively is a huge thing. I'm a big believer in the fiduciary standard just because it, it simplifies things. It simplifies the client relationship. Um, once again, mm-hmm. there's good advisors in both models, hybrid broker-dealer. There's good advisors everywhere, right? And you can you can make any of them work well. Um, I think ethics are important. Um, but for me, the fiduciary model was the cleanest and easiest to understand and the
1: easiest to sell because I believed in it the most. Right. Very good. Um, excellent. Well, you know, one of the things that I've, I've thought long and hard about is how to best serve clients and, and make them feel comfortable that you served them well. Many times clients don't even understand what you've done for them. And uh, how do you get those messages out to clients? Um, how do you how do you get through to their head and where they are at any given time? Oh, I love this question. So we were literally talking about
2: that um, uh, about four weeks ago, and here's something some things that we're doing. Well, one um, one is there's, there's a couple different levels to that question, right? One is for, does the client feel uh, like when the market's down, how much does the client you know do they feel like they understand their their net worth and are they understanding that they can still achieve the goals that they want even in a down market, right? This this the mm-hmm. other. Day- That question is um, What's our value add? And do the clients perceive the value of what we're doing? Um, Right. So I'll I'll answer the first one in that with our financial planning, we're financial planning first. Right. And, you know, 90% of a client's financial outcomes are driven by the plan, not by investments. And, you know, teaching clients that not to focus on what your investments did this month, and instead to focus on your spending and your saving and minimizing your taxes and making sure you have proper auto insurance and that your estate planning is done, life insurance if you need it, whatever it is. All those things are so much more important when things go wrong um, than whether you have the best performing fund or the second best performing fund in an asset class, right? That's splitting hairs compared to the other things. So we're financial planning first. um, And we spend, you know, right Capital is a really great tool. We've used all of them. Um, we we landed on right capital because once again, it was this, we want to make things simple and easy for clients and it's goal-based and it's very clean. And what we have found the strength of right capital to be, is that when we deliver a plan over zoom to a client, and then uh, we show them and walk them through and we talk them through all of our reasoning. um, We then turn the plan on to the client. So they have full access to it after our meeting and they can go in and play around with the sliders and see exactly the same thing they just saw in our meeting. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of tech clients who are really smart and really good with tech. So they'll go into the plan and they'll try and break it. They'll, they'll what if I retire next year? What if I retire in five years? And then they'll come back to us after processing what we've told them, come back to us with some really great questions. So we've found the client buy-in and their adoption of our recommendations to be so much better with right capital for our firm than we did
1: with, with other planning tools. Very interesting. Oh, great. Well, you're clearly a leader, um, Richard, in this industry. Um, you're uh, light years ahead of a lot of our colleagues with so many testing, so many ideas, uh, all the crypto knowledge and everything else. Um, I think we're, go- we're getting close to the end here. So I had this one general question. Um, imagine, first of all, about 300 advisors are going to see this interview in the ne- near term, and then maybe over the next year, a thousand. So Imagine that we're in a big auditorium at University of Texas and all these advisors are in the room and you get a chance to give them one message about the industry that you want to send to everyone. What would that message be?
2: Um, yeah, it'd, it'd be really simple. It's uh, put clients first at all times and everything else will sort itself
1: out. Nice. That's, that's a great that's a great mantra. And that's the fiduciary standard, isn't it? That's really what it's about. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of people that sell things in the financial industry, but in the fiduciary side, we don't sell things, do we? I mean, it's all about serving the client and doing the best thing for the client.
2: Right, but you know, there's there's a need for you know we sell too, right? We do sell. We sell you know ourselves and our, our plans and that this will fit a client's needs, right? So we we all have to sell, um, and I, I'm I'm not against the broker-dealer model or the hybrid model or salespeople at all. Um, I think if if they also Put the client first. Um, whether you have a fiduciary standard or not, I think we all end up better off in our in our industry becomes more like a profession, like attorneys and CPAs and doctors. Um right.
1: clients will generally trust us more. They will. Well, that's great. Well, that's all we have time for today, Richard. This has been a great discussion. Um, thanks for being with us today in the financial advisors workshop. And um, I know we're gonna check in with you more later on because we learned a lot just by talking to you today. So um um we'll uh, we'll be back with more episodes, everyone. Thanks everyone, for listening today in the Financial Advisors workshop. Thank you again, Richard. Uh, let's uh, let's be back with another episode very, very soon.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the ideas shared here, please subscribe to the show and leave us a five star review on iTunes and Spotify. And share this episode with anyone you think will also find value here please send us your follow-up questions at financialadvisorsworkshop.com. And while you're there, download our guide on how to find ultra-high net worth clients. And if you're a financial advisor looking for more freedom, higher margins, and better training, please set up a consultation to hear more about joining our team by going to fourstarwealth.com slash advisors. All right, thanks for listening. And until the next financial advisor workshop, Keep on growing, everyone.